Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about a new book from Faith Matters Publishing. It's called Restoration by Patrick Mason. Um, When we started the Faith Matters Publishing Project, one of our goals was to explore what restoration really means as the church moves into its third century, and that's exactly what Patrick does. If you're like me and you've ever wondered how restoring Israel can be relevant to you, you've got to read this book. Patrick shows how, as members of the church, it's our mission to truly lead out in bringing wholeness and healing to the marginalized and the vulnerable. This book absolutely lit a fire for me, and it has totally changed the way I view my own engagement with the church and with the world. I really can't recommend this book strongly enough. It's the kind of book you want everyone you know to be reading too, so that you can talk about it. So you can pick up a copy for yourself or for your friends and family at Desert Book, um, Amazon, Audible, and Apple Books. Okay, that's it on the book for now, but we'll be sharing a lot more in the near future. Thanks as always, and here's the episode. Welcome back to our deep dive with Thomas Worthland McConkie, mindfulness teacher and researcher in the field of adult development. In this episode, we tie up some loose ends and ask some really big questions. Join us for the seventh and final episode in this deep dive with Thomas McConkie. Welcome back. We are, uh, we have a, this is going to be a wrap up session, I think, Thomas, so... We're going to try pleasure, to get Bill. all the tough questions. Uh, we're going to, we're going to try to answer them in this final session. Let's go big here. Let's do go <laughs> bigger, go home. Uh, I'll start it this way. We're, we're familiar with T.S. Eliot's famous um, line that he says um, he wrote, "We shall not cease from exploration." And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Um, He's good. (laughs) He's good. I can think of how that applies in so many ways, but from the perspective of one who's, uh, who has returned to the Mormon faith, I want to know how, how that, how that verse speaks to you and your experience. It, It deeply speaks to me. I, I studied some Elliot. I was a literature major, and I, I appreciate it's not just, easy, not always easy reading. No, I mean the craft and the wisdom that goes into those lines, and how universal it is. I have my particular story of leaving, returning, but it's isn't it the human story? We're always leaving and returning. Mormonism feels so new to me. I've had this experience that has not waned, you know, in the six years that I've been active and, quote, back. It just feels so new to me. I often have this experience where I'm reading a scripture, I'm in a church meeting, I'm having some Mormon experience, and I'm just thinking, like, you know, like, how did I not see it before? And it's not in a punishing way, like, I should have seen it before. It's just like, wow. It's so new, and yet it's it's so familiar. I was so brought up in the tradition 
Um, so there's a certain native quality about it to me. Uh, but I, I feel great joy to know it again for the first time. Um, when I was a child, it was a, uh, it was a profound care I felt in my tradition. I loved the cosmology. Of course, I didn't know the word cosmology when I was five, but the way I was held in the story and the tradition by my eternal family, there was something so right about it that really gave shape to me and the person that I was becoming. And after, you know, decades gone and being in other religious practices to come back and to appreciate that I, I know now that I could spend 10 more lifetimes in Mormonism and never plumb the depths of it. That it just, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And that, that's a really satisfying thing to experience at this time in my life. Hmm. There's this uh, literary um, tradition called the hero's journey hmm. um, that uh, I, I, I don't, there's so many examples of it. It's actually theme, a theme in some of the most popular movies of the last few decades, all mm. of the Star Wars movies, for example. And right. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's such a common theme now that we, um, we recognize it immediately in the elements of the hero's journey, and it strikes me that, right. that a little bit of that, that your journey has something uh, akin to that uh, about it, the quality of a hero's journey in a way. Well, I, yeah, I love the, uh, the archetype, the pattern of the hero's journey. And the, whenever I've gotten to know anybody's life, I, I'm always aware of a certain call to adventure and the, the fear of leaving the known world and the divine aid that comes to us to help us transform and the gifts we bring back to the community. It's really a profound pattern that I think Joseph Campbell originally teased out, uh, I think in my life, it maybe has played out more literally and concretely <laughs> yeah. than in most. Like, you don't have to look far in my life. I, you know, I was kind of driven from the village and I needed aid to survive out there and, you know, fell in with a pack of Buddhists. And uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Nurtured along the way in, in, under, in unexpected ways. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I'm really astonished to find myself home. Let me just stress that, like genuinely surprised to find myself home and as satisfied and as rewarded as I feel to be home. I mean, mm -hmm. the definition of hell on earth to me 10 years ago, 10 years ago, yeah, about 10 years ago, it would have been like, oh yeah, move back to Salt Lake City, live down the street from your parents and, yeah. you know. I was, uh, we spent some time uh, overseas a couple of years ago and I took the opportunity to, uh, uh, to reread um, Homer, mm. yeah, uh, the Odyssey, and uh, the, this uh, the classic sort of hero's journey, mm. and I so I mean it's so beautiful. I mean uh, I read it the last time I read it was in high school I believe, and it was just it was so beautiful. But it it um, reminded me I think when um, when uh, Odysseus finally came back and uh, reclaimed his household and his kingdom, mm. uh, he was just called away again on another journey. That's kind of how the story ends, right? Mm. He's kind of called away again. Um, and it reminds, me of, uh, it reminds me of so many people I know in my own community that go on missions, actually. There's yeah. like these many heroes' journeys, yeah. right? They're, they're sent off, they're, 
called away from home. They don't know what they're, uh, what that holds for them. And they come back and they think, oh, I've reclaimed my kingdom. And then they're called again. Like something in them says, you know what? I need this. I need this to grow. And I'm, right. I'm off again. Yeah. And I don't even know where I'm going this time. So many, many heroes journeys. It's like yeah. our, our culture and so, really challenges us to go on these hero journeys. It's constantly, yeah. constantly challenging us to do that. Maybe returning from this long absence uh, helps you see some unique gifts that Mormonism can offer the world? What, what do you see? And I'll just, I'll just throw that question because I, I want to talk about what is it about Mormonism? What unique gifts do we offer to the world? The first one that comes to mind will be difficult to put into words, so I'll ask those listening to kind of listen with your whole body, mm. not just with your mind, but maybe to sense into what I'm trying to point to. But... I, I spent many years in the Buddhist tradition, and I'm still a very active Buddhist meditator. Not that they refer to themselves as active meditators or not. That's a, we like a, that word. Active. That's an import from Mormonism, but I'm very active in my Buddhism. Um, I, I learned to experience the certain states, and I, I, you could say have the spiritual experiences that their tradition is good at kind of uh, evoking. And if I were to try to describe it in a kind of Buddhist quality, they use the term emptiness, which probably has very little resonance to some people listening. Um, but it, it's, it's a kind of emptiness where all of the possibilities in the world abound. It's the emptiness from which all of creation pours forth. And it's actually quite a profound spiritual experience. I think the term logos in the New Testament and the in the Greek translation, uh, uh, kind of points to it a little bit that there's a logos. In the beginning was logos, and it gave rise to everything. And the Buddhist tradition is quite good at pointing to that and saying, "Do this with your mind. Do this with your attention, and you'll have a direct insight and realization of this awesome reality." The reason I point to that is because coming back to Mormonism after many, 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 many years gone, I felt all, this is where words fail, but there was a kind of fullness. There was a kind of wholeness and holiness. I experienced this very deep union of the divine and the temporal and there's something very you experienced unique. that as you sat worshiping with your. So I just came or, back. Yeah, it or, was. Or you just felt it in your life generally. I felt it. I felt it uh, heightened in moments like taking the sacrament. It felt like that presence was there in a special way uh, during certain times, but not just that time. It was, you know, it was available. I think that was the message I got that this is. We, we can live this way. We were asked to live from this place of uh, we're in a divinity school and we're training to become what we were meant to become. But I, I can only point to this kind of this fullness of joy. It's very intimate. It's, I feel tutored by the spirit. I feel deeply invited by God to be that, yeah. to create for myself. And the, the signature, the, the quality in the Mormon I'll, let me call it a wisdom stream. There's something actually energetic. There's something actually potent and powerful, I would suggest, about the unique form and shape of the Mormon tradition that discloses that spiritual experience to us. And it, I, I felt it 
enlightening me and ennobling me and lifting me in a way that I didn't before. I'll say for myself, and those who are listening can decide for themselves, the way that Shakespeare writes a sonnet, he's not writing in Tagalog or Mandarin. He's writing in English. He's writing in Shakespearean English, which we didn't call it that Elizabethan. at the time. Yeah. Elizabethan, thank you, mm-hmm. technically. But like the, the shape, the beauty that Shakespeare created through that particular medium gave rise to something ineffable. Mm-hmm. And I see the world's wisdom traditions doing that. Uh, Mormonism, to me, has such a unique shape to it and resonance and genius and it's this field of revelation that's open to us, asking us to participate. And it's incredibly worthy. So there's an experience of fullness in this vessel of Mormonism that's worth sharing with the world. What other gifts do we offer? I'm going to start with the Joseph Smith story. Because coming back to that story after many years gone, it strikes me as very significant. We're talking about the hero's journey here, or we just were. Mm. And it's really striking to me as kind of an outsider foreigner in his own right, coming back into this tradition that begins with the story of a young boy going into a grove and kneeling down and praying and receiving revelation. To me, that, that sets the whole Mormon proposition into motion implicit to me is that every one of us can do that and must do that, that that we must ask for revelation. We have the opportunity to invite God to uh, respond to our most urgent questions. And that if we do it sincerely, God will recruit us to live out, you know, this, a particular vision that is uniquely for us Mm. Joseph Smith was prepared for a certain work and he had the, he experienced the joy, the ecstasy and the terror of living out that particular work. And my sense is coming back after a long time that we have that intimate of an invitation from God to channel something through ourselves. Hmm. That's like right down in the, the deep structure of Mormonism. It's like, how did it start? Well, this, this young man believed, that something great was possible in his own life. And he said, I'm willing to do it if you give me the work. So I, I feel called to action in Mormonism. I, call, I feel deeply called to become something in Mormonism. And that goes right back to day one. From, yeah, you came from a tradition where it was a lot about emptying out. Indeed. And now you're, now you're back Indeed. in a tradition that's a lot about fullness and the fire of acting in the world. I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, to put it in very plain terms, I remember the first time I was called to ask, uh, or I was, I was called and asked to help somebody in my ward move. It's a Saturday. Mm. I'm a busy guy. Everybody's busy. Do I want to spend four hours moving a guy out of his apartment? I remember. I didn't do that in 20 years. In my perspective, <laughs> I never helped someone in a Buddhist Sangha. Well, like, Buddhists move, don't have move. anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you going to Oh, move? yes, they do. <laughs> oh, yes, they'd like you to believe that. No, but, I mean, it's a very concrete example that there's something so deep in the structure of Mormonism that says, like, yeah, you know, have your meditation, your prayer practice, be spiritual, and help your neighbor move Saturday morning. And I, I appreciate that call to action to just real. I just feel embodied in the community. I'm more aware of more people and what they need than I was in a long time in another 
kind of practice. You know, our enterprise is really to create a Zion community. That's kind of, that's that underlying mission. We are about creating a Zion, a Zion community as we yeah. call it, right? Uh, there, that, that implies a deep connection and it implies an ordinary connection like moving your neighbor. We're in a, a world that's increasingly disconnected. Right. As much as technology is supposed to connect us on a, on, on a real concrete, tangible level, and even right. on an intimate level, right. it's, it's done the opposite. And we don't have community, and we don't have front porches, and we, yeah. you know, uh, and so this sort of, this runs counter to the tide of culture right now. It's like, no, we, we're gathering and we're forming community. The opportunity to, sh- to and the duty, really, to show up and serve other people in God's name. Mm. Mm. Maybe talk about that. Is that is that something that I, I don't know? Is that is that a unique gift that we offer the world? Sort of the invitation to do that because it's it's not the priest that does that. It's right. it's you coming from work in your T-shirt. Sometimes this happened to my son yesterday, who's um, a very good friend, uh, suffered a terrible tragedy, and he's at work and. And, you know, very involved in his work day and has to immediately shift gears and go and minister to this person. Right. And lay hands on his head and bless him and and expects to be, to have God, like, working through him. Right. And, and but it's not, like, that, that invitation is open to everybody. We invite everybody to come and have that same experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Mormonism has its particular... Uh, tradition around that and its structures and uh, its its priesthood and its ordinances and uh, it's it's a really powerful thing. My experience being the recipient of those diff- different ordinances and priesthood blessings, I've had life changing experiences that way. Yeah, so we've that, talked about those some of those earlier. In, yeah, in our conversations. <clears throat> I would also say just you know while we're reflecting on the unique gifts of Mormonism. Uh, for those listening, I would invite you to just reflect on a moment in your life where you, you, re- you recall it as being a profound spiritual experience. What it, whatever it was, like you can kind of take yourself back there, where you were, who you were with, but most especially in this moment, recall how it felt in the body. What was it like to have a spiritual experience and to know that you were having a spiritual experience. And you make some room for that. You call that back up in your experience. And I would suggest that Mormonism has a very unique way of inviting us into a fullness of our spiritual capacities when our hearts burn within us and when it feels like electricity is coursing through our entire bodies and it feels like Everything we do is a manifestation of the Spirit, you know, pouring out blessing through us as this vessel, and all we can do is try to stay out of the way of it. Uh, A lot of people listening will have had an experience like that and know how real that is. And uh, Mormonism is so elegant that way to me, Mm. so undeniably potent. I'm blown away by the expansiveness of the Mormon canon that we like. You know, Terrell Givens, you brought up in Wrestling the Angel, a masterpiece of his. And he talks about 
how do you define what Mormonism is when it's changing all the time? When, whenever anyone opens their mouth and then, you know, with the Holy Spirit uh, motivating them, then the canon has changed again. There's something just so creative about it and generative about the tradition. And I think my sense is that's always been in it since day one. It's really a powerful thing. It's yeah. consciously evolving in that sense. Yeah, there's a scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants. We, maybe it would be a, a good time to read that. Um, it addresses this quality of imagination that we're mm. supposed to bring to our religious practice. And it's, God says to us, um, It is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same as a slothful and not a wise servant. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, um, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness, for the power is in them, mm. wherein they are agents unto themselves. Mm. That is one of the, I mean, God directly challenging us to be a little more imaginative and to create create meaning and to create good in our lives and not to be commanded, but to act uh, as divine agents in the world. Right, that, that level of trust yeah. to participate in the restoration, in the building of the kingdom and the holy city. It's really remarkable you know, that we're asked to be enterprising yeah. about what we're creating. You know, it's almost a truism in Mormonism that all the greatest programs are grassroots. They're people solving local problems, and then it gets adopted later. Mormon history is abounding with examples of people who just had the enterprise to try something, do something, and it became a part of who we are as Mormons. And yeah. I think it speaks directly to that. It's scripture. an expression of confidence. God himself is expressing confidence in us. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to our story. Our story about ourselves is that we are eternal divine beings. Right. And if you if you really believe that, then you believe that you have the ability to be agents under your, you know, to bring to pass much good. And so, mm -hmm. not to be command, not to wait to be commanded, but to uh, you know engage in the world in that way. So I think that's, yeah, yeah I think that Mormon is a very active uh, religion in that sense, and challenging. Everyone in the world has that capability. Mm. It's not some special um, calling that only uh, pertains to that only applies to a special group of people. It's everyone. Right, right. Um, what, what gifts maybe could we be offering the world that we as a people are not prepared to offer the world? There's a... uh, well, something really simple that comes to mind, just creating a space on Sundays where different kinds of people, more kinds of people feel like they can show up and be safe and regarded and esteemed. I see a, a genuine struggle. I don't mean struggle like we shouldn't be struggling. I mean a genuine struggle to develop and evolve a space where more and more people can come and feel seen and reflected and touched. And I, that's, that strikes me as a struggle right now. Yeah. The way we're working with how do we communicate to the LGBT community that they're us, that they're our people, our community, and we want them to be with us. Yeah. People like me, I, I had, it was really hard coming back to church after 20 years because of the way people looked at me and the stories they had about me. 
um, I actually wonder, you know, like with my own story of deciding to be involved actively in a Mormon community again, what about the people who don't want to hear those comments week after week after week? And I still hear them six years later. You know, basic things like how do we really extend a, you know, a heartful welcome to one another? That's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> what comes up for you? I think there are a couple of things, actually. Um, one is that since we have a theology that um, actually um, allows for unlimited growth, in fact, we believe that's our destiny, mm-hmm. then maybe we can, this developmental perspective that we've been talking about, maybe we can, in our tradition, we mm-hmm. can... Um, Import that maybe a little bit more explicitly and understand it better. But also, I think this—I is, think it is a gift to the world that we, and I think the world is ready for this message that mm. we are capable of growing infinitely. Mm. It is so uh, fundamental to what Mormonism is about. And in that growth, you're going to have these different stages that we can all be more patient about. And we can... Uh, not draw these rigid lines uh, that separate ourselves, but just accept that this is something that is part of part of each of our growth. So maybe I think that is a. We're, I don't know that we're ready as a people to offer that gift, mm-hmm. but I think we should be, and I think it's it's in, it's inevitable that we offer that. It seems inevitable to me in some sense because our theology demands it. Right. I think I think another thing is. Um, we have a very, uh, for people to connect to God, um, God has traditionally been this, you know, exclusively male figure. We have a theology that has a divine feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that that's a gift that we can offer the world of how to, and we're not, are we ready to offer that gift yet? We haven't, we haven't become comfortable about talking that, talking about that ourselves. Right. So maybe we're not ready to offer that gift yet, but I think that is a gift that we can offer the world. And I think that the, the world is ready for, mm. um, I don't know. How do you feel about those well, two? It strikes me. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm advocate number one for a developmentally informed Mormonism. I mean, how powerful would it be to be the first institution on the planet that's fully developmentally informed and learning compassion and care for the human being, you know, across the entire spectrum of development. One final question. Maybe, maybe the final question. <laughs> We've been teasing this one for a while. But, uh, people want to know, is the world going to hell? <laughs> right. And so right. let's resolve that right now so we know what to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think what, what we can agree that in, <clears throat> in the world in the last uh, 150 years for sure, something big is going on. Like some, and, but that's really accelerated. If the the pace of change, the pace of discovery, the pace of social disruption, has accelerated in the, in the last oh, you know two or three decades. Uh, so if there's something big going on in humanity, we can't deny it. Nothing like this has ever happened before, not even close. Hmm. Uh, in human history. So, where's it going? I mean, mm. this is, yeah. 
Yep, this, you really made this last question count, Bill. <laughs> Where is it all going? Does that include going to hell? Uh, I mean, this is a big one. Uh, we could take any number of perspectives on it. My my sense is that there's tremendous opportunity in the moment. Uh, my my experience is that we as a planet and a species are more awake, more alive to the complexity of what human life is and what it means to live on a planet and share it together. Because we're more alive and awake to those questions than ever, it suggests to me that we have more opportunities than ever to use our imaginations and evolve new ways to be in community together, even as I in community. So it feels like there's there's a lot at stake and a lot that's possible and certainly the possibility of careening out of control. You know, imagine were we to wink out in this moment as an entire planet, you know, from from the beginnings of these uh miasmic swamps into you know human civilization and all that we've uh, built and established up to the year 2017 it would be a pretty decent run if this were it yeah my sense is that uh yeah there's there's more to come look there's some real positives there's mm-hmm. some things to be optimistic about mm-hmm. um it's it's hard to imagine that you know less than two centuries ago slave trade was just accepted right. by by everyone right. decent God-fearing people and, you know, everyone. Civil rights for minorities mm. was uh, not something anybody talked about. So it's been a, a, the, the, the freedoms that people have achieved. We've eliminated uh, some of the grossest inequities that humanity, that have been our birthright right. as a human species. What have we learned in the last 150 years? And again, the pace of this learning is accelerating about about the natural world, about the cosmos, about our um, our own biology, um, about how our brains work, about mm. uh, the 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 pace of scientific discovery is ex- has been so impressive. I mean, mm. our species has existed on this earth a long, long time, and we never knew any of this stuff. And suddenly, like revelation pouring from heaven, we're learning. Mm-hmm. so much right. about our own planet right. and how everything and what we're learning is that everything is connected mm-hmm. in ways we could never imagine mm. which which is consistent also with our theology and so I, I can be very i can be very optimistic and say this is like we're living in the most exciting the time a time of fullness mm. and i can also be fearful and say yeah right. it looks like sometimes the world's going to going to hell this right. this thing this this monster this technology monster we have a hold of it's 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 soon to get a hold on us you know as we talk about where is it all going uh i'm aware of a dialectic meaning i'm i'm aware of a winding down i, I hear these evolutionary biologists kind of like they're shouting in my ear right now like teleology is not acceptable as a rigorous scientific idea Meaning, like to say right. that it's going somewhere would, you know, it's offend, emergent. It's emergent and would it's offend not, scientific yeah. sensibilities right. mm-hmm. to suppose that there's an end game and that it's designed. Right. It, it violates a lot of what we think we know, at mm-hmm. least at this time, yeah. about evolution. And yet, what you're pointing to is undeniable that. Uh, I, I think the reason I asked the question is because I believe it is emergent. And I believe right. that we have a responsibility to. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think there is a, a predetermined end to this. Right. I, I, I believe that. Yeah. And it could go very wrong. In fact, um, Teilhard said the same thing. Like this could be, this could be something really amazing that we create here. Or it could mm -hmm. go very, very wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can say that, that we as Mormons, Mormon culture has been swept along by this tide that's the secular tide mm. that is all about building, consuming, exploiting, uh, uh, in this very impressive uh, period of human history, this very active phase in humanity. Um, do, is there a, a chance that humanity can return to a more mindful, more reflective uh, stage? Like almost, is it possible? Is it even inevitable that that happen? And what, how do, what role might we play as LDS people, as Mormon culture hmm. in that? Well, a, a couple of things come to mind. When you ask that question, uh, I've, I've heard a statistic, maybe others have heard the statistic where like right now the human race is consuming one and a half times the resources that the planet can produce sustainably long term. Meaning that if we were on this course for another certain number of decades, we would just completely despoil the earth and exhausted of all resources. Right. So we're. Our current situation is unsustainable. I think the minimalism at the heart of the practice of a contemplative life is non-attachment. Things can come, things can go. I can be wealthy, I can be poor. And there's something, there's an inner wealth that I'm connected to uh, that allows me to just you know, be present to the gift of life moment to moment. Every breath is a gift. I think if we were to embody that as a Mormon people, rather than consuming, rather than uh, accumulating, but to just really embody the wealth of these tabernacles and temples that we're gifted to, you know, spend some time in before we move on. That would be a massive, massive revolution. Yeah. It is stunning that we have embraced this accumulation of things the way we have. It's uh, and despite all the warnings, the consistent warnings, even from the pulpit today, that right. why are this is crazy? Why are we doing this? A, a more contemplative Mormon tradition, if it could emerge, would be a more modest tradition consumptively. I think it would also be one that r reaches out because that is our that's that's fundamentally mm. who we are. Mm. So one that incorporated both modesty in the way we live. And, and more uh, embracing mm. of those around us. A contemplative tradition that could emerge within Mormonism would do those two things could mm. have a very beneficial effect on the world. Would you it, agree? it would be profound, that contemplative uh, approach, as well as what you mentioned a moment ago, this radical vision of unlimited growth and the potential to transform and an institution, I know we're distrustful of that word and, you know, institutions themselves, but if we could institutionalize and, um, you know, create the choreography for how do we shepherd a human across the entire spectrum of development and help one another grow into what we were meant to become, 
like you said, the Mormon worldview is so deeply developmental. Uh, and we know more about how humans develop than we've known ever in the history of the planet. And to incorporate that wisdom and, you know, to actually create some structure and some supports around how to continue to grow, I think that would facilitate the the minimalist, contemplative aesthetic that could emerge in Mormonism in the time to come. Yeah. Um, there's a Mormon bishop that wrote a very popular book called Essentialism mm. uh, that um, I think maybe we'll try to have him as a guest on one of our other podcasts. There's a way that we can help maybe transmit some really beautiful and what we consider to be eternal truths and values. Mm. And maybe this is another gift that we offer the world. I can see no other way of doing that than by than through the family. Mm-hmm. Family can be interpreted as you know as broadly as you wish, but there is um, some powerful thing. Well, there's something about the way we do family mm-hmm. that if we do it right in unconditional love and nurturing mm-hmm. and transmission of feeling, sort of embodied feeling and values, that. Um, uh, maybe that is a hope that we can give mm. and a gift that we can offer the world as well. Mm. Because in very, very disruptive times when institutions are dissolving, mm. that is one institution that we can preserve and um, and offer mm. as a gift. Mm. You know, bringing souls into the world and teaching and nurturing and giving unconditional love at a time when people are becoming more and more disconnected. Maybe that gift of family is something that we should, you know, how to do family. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, it's a beautiful possibility. Okay, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been wonderful to Thanks. sit and chat about, um, yeah, deep and profound issues. I think uh, you've raised some possibilities and some uh, perspectives that, uh, would will be fresh and new to our community. So thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks yeah, for your friendship and for spending this time together. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a journey. Uh, we're not the same people we were when we started. <laughs> no. but I feel like we've left. You know, you had a lot more hair. Winter. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've gotten three haircuts <laughs> since we started this series. It's <laughs> like we left winter's quarters, and here we are now. And right, the Great Basin. The Great Basin <laughs> <laughs> with stories to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Bill.